well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Married Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad you joined us on the program today. Election Day in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We've got statewide elections in New Jersey as well, plus so many local uh, races and ballot initiatives around the country, including, uh, let's see, so you've got the uh, public safety vote, the vote in Minneapolis uh, on whether or not to uh, dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department, replace it with a uh, touchy-feely Department of Public Safety. There is a similar ballot measure in Austin, Texas. Uh, you've got a, a big city attorney's race in uh, Seattle that will determine uh, whether or not uh, the defund the police movement has uh, any momentum, even in far-left cities like, you know, Seattle. So there's a lot to pay attention to. By the way, I did vote. You can, well, actually, I don't know if you can see it. There we go. Yeah, I voted. I did. I was uh, number 91 in my uh, small town uh, precinct at about 10 o'clock Tuesday morning. That's pretty good turnout. I have to say, for an off-year election, that's actually pretty good turnout. Uh, And again, polls have been open just for a couple of hours at that point. It was cold. It was rainy this morning. Things are supposed to clear up. Uh, and uh, weather should be better this afternoon, so I expect that uh, we'll see strong turnout uh, in my part of uh, rural Virginia. Turnout is strong, I think, across the state, and the momentum in Virginia, uh, I got to tell you, I mean, it really is with the Yunkin campaign. Take a look at this headline. This is from Politico. Yunkin's crowds dwarf McAuliffe's on election eve. Now, both of these candidates were uh, campaigning, uh, closing their campaigns in northern Virginia which makes me roll my eyes as a resident of rural Virginia, but I understand. Because you look at the state of Virginia and and the suburbs are going to be where Glenn Youngkin wins this race or where Terry McAuliffe loses it. The rural parts of Virginia are going to turn out for Glenn Youngkin, I believe very, very strongly. Uh, But can Youngkin claw back some ground that Republicans have lost in the suburbs of Washington, D.C.? Fairfax County, Loudoun County, Prince William County, even Fauquier County. Can they uh, claw back some of the ground in the Richmond suburbs, in Rico County, for example, uh, Chesterfield County, in the Virginia Beach area, uh, which has typically been, uh, you know, for a, a big city, it's been a more conservative city, but Republicans have lost ground there over the past couple of election cycles. Can uh, Glenn Youngkin get those votes back? His campaign seems very, very confident. And again, the crowds were there for Youngkin last night in Loudoun County. Meanwhile, Terry McAuliffe, check this out. Last day of the campaign. How does he do it? Guess how Glenn Youngkin is finishing his campaign, McAuliffe told a modest crowd outside a Fairfax brewery on Monday night at his final rally. He's doing an event with Donald Trump here in Virginia. Well, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. And again, that in a nutshell, I think is why voter enthusiasm for McAuliffe is low on the left and why uh, voting enthusiasm for Republicans is so high. Not only is Joe Biden dragging Terry McAuliffe down, Terry McAuliffe is dragging Terry McAuliffe down because Terry McAuliffe is a bad candidate. I don't think he's a great person. Personally, I've never met the guy. But if you're out there lying to your voters and lying to your base about your opposing candidate because you you hope it's going to goose turn out a little bit because you can't let go of your fixation and your obsession with Donald Trump, you deserve to lose. And Terry McAuliffe deserves to lose this race. Uh, This has just been, it's been an astoundingly bad campaign by Terry McAuliffe. But one of the things that you may have noticed 
is that Terry McAuliffe, while running against Donald Trump, apparently thinking Donald Trump's running for governor, McAuliffe has, you know, you go to his campaign website and Terry McAuliffe says, I, I want to ban guns. We're going to ban these magazines. We're going to do all this gun control. But he hasn't really talked about it on the campaign trail. Glenn Youngkin, on the other hand, uh, you know, as we've talked about before, did not fill out any candidate questionnaire. So he was not endorsed by the NRA. He was not endorsed by the Virginia Citizens Defense League. Uh, his campaign says, look, I, I, we didn't fill out anything. Uh, we didn't, any group that submitted a candidate questionnaire, we didn't return it. So it's not, we were trying to slam the NRA. It's not like we were trying to slam VCDL. We just didn't do that this election cycle. I, I, I believe it to a certain degree, but I also would not be surprised if there was an internal calculus. Like This is the question, by the way. Why weren't guns a bigger issue among the candidates in this election? Because I would argue that, that the Second Amendment actually is a big issue for many Virginians. Remember, it was two years ago that we saw the Second Amendment sanctuary movement sweep across the Commonwealth of Virginia after Democrats took control of the House of Delegates in the 2019 elections. And that gave Democrats complete control of state government in Virginia. And in the weeks afterwards, uh, the vast majority of counties in the state, dozens of cities and towns across the state of Virginia, declared themselves to be Second Amendment sanctuaries. We had over somewhere between 30 and 50,000 gun owners show up at the Virginia State Capitol for the uh, Lobby Day rally in January of 2020, just a couple of months after the 2019 elections were held. So even though the candidates haven't spent a lot of time talking about the Second Amendment or gun control, depending on what party we're talking about, I do believe that the voters are still very concerned about this issue. And Terry McAuliffe has done absolutely nothing to uh, to reassure gun owners that he's a moderate on the issue. Remember when Terry McAuliffe was governor the first time around in Virginia, and hopefully the only time he'll be governor in Virginia, uh, McAuliffe actually uh, tried to, 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 to portray himself as a moderate. Attorney General Mark Herring, who's also up for re-election in Virginia this year, uh, decided to scrap all of the reciprocity agreements that the state of Virginia had, or the Commonwealth of Virginia had, with other states. So if you lived in Bristol, Virginia, all of a sudden you could not legally carry in Bristol, Tennessee, because we didn't recognize Tennessee's carry licenses, and of course Tennessee didn't recognize ours all of a sudden. West Virginia, North Carolina, same thing. If you lived on the Virginia border or you traveled to these other states on a regular basis, you were hosed because of the actions of the Attorney General. And Terry McAuliffe at the time stepped in, so oh, I've got a plan to save everything. And he, you know, announced this measure. Okay, we're going to have universal reciprocity. We're going to recognize every state's concealed carry licenses. Uh, and the only thing we're going to do is uh, uh, when you go to a gun store, or excuse me, you go to a gun show, uh, the Virginia State Police will be there. They, they, you can conduct voluntary background checks on private sales if, if you want. Now Terry McAuliffe said, oh, gun shows, they're the worst things ever. Ugh. I'm going to ban your AR-15s. I'm going to ban your large capacity magazines. That's what he said on the campaign website. But again, it really wasn't part of Terry McAuliffe's stump speech. So what's going on? Why, given that this is such an important issue for many Virginians, why did neither Terry McAuliffe nor Glenn Youngkin really make gun ownership or gun control a big part of their campaign? And I think it comes down to politics. And I think that there are uh, reasons, differing reasons, for both the Republican and the Democratic candidate as to why they chose to sort of sidestep this issue 
uh, as much as possible. For Yunkin, I think it comes down to the suburbs. Uh, Yunkin's uh, campaign strategy very clearly, and I think successfully, uh, has relied on increasing turnout in the suburbs. Now, there are a couple of ways you can go about doing that, but this issue that fell into Glenn Youngkin's lap, uh, thanks to far-left Democrats in Northern Virginia, has been education. What's going on in the classrooms? And that's an issue that parents are dealing with right now, as opposed to the prospect of gun control, which we dealt with two years ago when the Democrats took control of the state legislature, which we will deal with next year. If Democrats keep control of the legislature and keep control of the governor's mansion in Virginia, oh, yeah, we're going to be dealing with gun control for sure. But the top of mind issue right now in the state of Virginia really is education. And where Yunkin believes that he can make inroads, particularly with suburban moms, is by talking about what their kids are learning in school. And the fact that Terry McAuliffe and many Democrats don't believe that parents should have a say in what their kids are learning in school. So I, I believe for the Youngkin campaign, it was simply a matter of, look, we don't want to uh, turn off uh, suburban moms by, uh, you know, centering our campaign around AR-15s and these uh, black guns that uh, the gun control advocates have spent the last several years scaring the bejeebers uh, out of these suburban moms about, right? This is a better issue. It is a more salient issue for these voters in the suburbs. As much as I might not like to admit it, it is the issue that is before parents in Virginia right now, as opposed to, you know, Ralph Northam's gun grab, which was two years ago. But for McAuliffe, the calculation is a little different because Democrats are supposed to be out and proud when it comes to their support for gun bans. Right? I mean, this is supposed to we 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 hear all the time from gun control activists, that, that gun control is a winning issue for Democrats. And in a race as close as this one, I mean, you'd think that Terry McAuliffe would want every edge possible. So why didn't he start stumping about gun control? And I think the calculation is that McAuliffe worried that that would energize Republicans more than it would energize Democrats. I think that was the calculus. Terry McAuliffe has spent the last couple of months of this campaign desperately trying to turn out his base of support. He has brought in Kamala Harris. He's brought in Stacey Abrams. After running a campaign, by the way, where Terry McAuliffe, you know, accused Glenn Youngkin of uh, uh, supporting Donald Trump's claims of a stolen election, what does Terry McAuliffe do? He campaigns alongside a candidate who claims that her election victory was stolen from her. Uh, again, absurd, but again, it's a it's a base turnout strategy. You're trying, McAuliffe has been trying to appeal to his base of support. Now, you might think, all right, well, I mean, gun control, shouldn't, shouldn't that rally his base of support? Sure, if you're a gun control activist, you'd say that. But if you're a politician, if you're a campaign consultant, you're studying these issues, you know what's moving the needle and what's not. And the fact that Terry McAuliffe did not Bases campaign around gun control. The fact that he didn't even mention it in most of his campaign appearances tells me that his strategists did not see gun control as a winning issue for him. That uh, whatever it might have done to, uh, to, to, to juice the base, 
it was going to do far more uh, to energize Republicans and to get them to turn out and vote. And so McAuliffe, again, trying to thread that needle. Uh, what can we do to uh, to play up our, our our base and to convince our base that they need to turn out? And it wasn't, uh, we need to go after the guns. It was uh, uh, Glenn Youngkin's uh, uh, Trump-loving racist. I mean, that's what the McAuliffe campaign was basing their argument on. Uh, so that, I think, is why we didn't see McAuliffe or Youngkin really center either one of their campaigns around either gun control or support for the Second Amendment. I, I think both of them actually were consciously avoiding the issue uh, because they both believe, for very different reasons, that uh, raising that issue may have benefited their opponent more than their own campaigns. But I got to tell you, between the two candidates, there is a world of difference. Uh, with Terry McAuliffe, if he gets reelected, look, I think it's going to be tough for Democrats to get through a gun ban because the calculus in the Virginia State Senate hasn't changed. And there are still, at last report, there were four, although it might be down to two Democrat state senators who represent rural districts in Virginia who have said, nope, not on board uh, with a gun ban. But McAuliffe has tried to scale that back a little bit. So well, what if we grandfather in existing owners and we just go after these magazines and we don't let anybody buy any new AR-15s? If McAuliffe wins, Democrats will try to ram a gun ban and a magazine ban through the state legislature in Virginia. And I, uh, I, I, I'm really, really hoping <laughs> that uh, they don't get the chance to do that. Uh, that instead, we've got a Governor Yunkin uh, who would veto any gun control bills that would get to his desk. I'm actually hoping that the uh, Republicans are able to take back the House of Delegates in Virginia so we can stop any gun control bills from getting to a Governor Yunkin's desk. But uh, as much as the Democrats may have avoided the issue on the campaign trail, I just don't see them ignoring our right to keep and bear arms if they cling to power in Virginia, particularly with the uh, Supreme Court getting ready to take up the uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin case. Oral arguments held tomorrow, Wednesday. We're going to be talking about uh, that on tomorrow's show. But if, let's say, you know, mid part of next year, uh, the Supreme Court hands down a decision that says, nope, New York, you're wrong. You are violating people's constitutional rights uh, when you say that, uh, you know, you've got to show good cause or a justifiable need to carry a firearm for self-defense. Democrats are going to try to react legislatively however they can. In New York, it'll be a little bit easier because they've got an anti-gun supermajority in the Assembly and in the Senate. Uh, and you've got an anti-gun governor in uh, Kathy Hochul who's going to be uh, trying to play to her base because she's running for election. You've got Letitia James who's running for election in New York. So you know, states like New York, it'll be easier for the anti-gun forces to respond. But if the votes are there in Virginia, if Democrats still control the state legislature, still control the governor's mansion, oh yeah, there is going to be an enormous amount of both internal pressure from within the party and external pressure from the gun control lobby to pass some sort of restriction on the right to keep and bear arms. And given that the uh, Supreme Court case deals with the right to carry, a gun ban and a magazine ban would be a logical place for the uh, Democrats in Virginia to proceed. So our Second Amendment rights, uh, while they have been ignored um, throughout much of the campaigns, 
uh, are very much in play uh, as a you know, depending on what the election results are in Virginia tonight. Uh, but I, you know, I was kind of curious, and I was disappointed that um, you know the right to keep and bear arms did not play more of an issue, particularly in the Yunkin campaign. But I have to say, I mean, looking at it just from a purely political, pragmatic perspective, it seems to have worked for Glenn Youngkin. Uh, he does not seem to have lost a lot of Republican support. Last poll I saw, and again, this is, you know, just one poll, take it with a grain of salt or however many grains of salt you want to take it with, showed that uh, Youngkin was getting something like 97% of the Republican vote. Uh, McAuliffe was getting far less than that. I think it was somewhere around, you know, 88, 87%. Uh, but there was notably more enthusiasm for Yunkin's voters than for McAuliffe's voters. So my impression is that uh, gun owners understand the stakes here. Uh, even if we didn't get an orange postcard from the NRA saying, vote for Glenn Yunkin, even if we didn't get a, a card from the VCDL saying, go out and, and, and vote for uh, uh, Glenn Yunkin there on election day. We did see these groups actually come out and say, here's what Terry McAuliffe would do if he's elected. These, these Second Amendment groups did engage in voter outreach. They did not endorse Glenn Youngkin, but they certainly educated their members uh, and gun owners about the dangers of a second term for Terry McAuliffe and continued control of the state legislature uh, in Virginia by Democrats. Uh, and I think that the message was received loud and clear. I, every gun owner that I have spoken to over the past few weeks, has been eager to vote. Either they've voted early, or like me, they were planning on voting on election day. It's sort of my little tradition. But they were ready. They were excited. They were motivated. Uh, and I think that that is bad news for Democrats, no matter how the election turns out. Look, Joe Biden won the state of Virginia by 10 points. Nobody's predicting that Terry McAuliffe is going to win Virginia by 10 points. The question is, how much of a crash are we going to see uh, from the uh, November 2020 election results in the Commonwealth of Virginia when the votes start getting tabulated tonight. So we will talk more about this on tomorrow's program. We'll also talk uh, on tomorrow's show about the Supreme Court oral arguments in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. But right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will start there with a uh, story out of Ohio, excuse me, uh, Chicago, just from the website CWB Chicago. Uh, headline, a new bond court judge debuts with a fresh mindset that restrains victims and frees violent men on recognizance bonds. That's right. The website says that this week, Cook County Chief Judge Timothy Evans is expected to officially announce changes to the roster of judges who set bail conditions for defendants in the city. And as CWB Chicago reported, there are three new judges who began handling the city's bond court sessions last week in advance of this formal announcement. One of those judges, Kelly McCarthy, gave what they described as an eye-popping performance in a felony bond court on Friday. She set bail for 27 defendants during the session. 22 of them were released on their own recognizance. They didn't have to post a penny of bond before they were uh, let loose, including two charged with felony robbery. She also refused to grant prosecutors' requests to have several defendants held without bail, including one charged with attempted murder for allegedly beating, stomping, and choking his pregnant girlfriend for about 20 minutes. Now, look, bonds are not supposed to be punitive in nature. It's not, we don't like you, we think you're accused of a heinous crime, and therefore we're going to keep you locked up until you go to trial. That's not the purpose of bond. 
But we are able to keep people behind bars if we believe that they pose a threat to the community, that they pose a danger to themselves or others. Those are some of the conditions in which bond can be set. I would argue that somebody trying to kill his pregnant girlfriend probably doesn't need to be out on the streets as long as his pregnant girlfriend is also still out there. But apparently the judge had a, a very different point of view. Uh, CWB Chicago also pointed out another case uh, where the judge, Kelly McCarthy, took what they call the unprecedented step of ordering a robbery victim to show up in court to be served with an order to protect the man who allegedly robbed her at gunpoint. Yeah. So the robbery victim has had a protective order taken out against her by the guy who allegedly robbed her at gunpoint. And the judge says uh, to the victim, you gotta show up here in court. In another case, prosecutors said a convicted felon admitted that a gun police found inside a purse in a car that he was driving was his. Despite the alleged admission, McCarthy ruled there was no probable cause for the man to be detained because, quote, obviously, it's not his purse. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as a CWB Chicago reports, uh, this may just be a taste of things to come. Because as of 2023, cash bail, uh, cash bail outlawed in the state of Illinois. So you're either held without bond entirely, or you are free to go. And I think we're going to see a lot more of these cases where uh, people accused of uh, acts of violence, people who you know maybe have a long criminal history and clearly are a threat to the community, are going to be sitting on their merry way with a pat on the back. Today's Armed Citizen story from uh, Oklahoma, Pushmataha County. An attempted home invasion on Halloween turned into a, a case of self-defense. According to authorities, it was just after 4 p.m. on October 31st when Pushmataha County Sheriff's Office requested assistance from the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. Every home invasion turned into a robbery. Uh, officials say that uh, 25-year-old Sean Blake Watts arrived at this home, uh, entered the house, and then assaulted the homeowner. Uh, and while the homeowner was being assaulted, they were able to retrieve a pistol and shot Sean Watts. After being transported to the Pushmataha Hospital in Antlers, Oklahoma, Watts was pronounced dead. Uh, another individual was with Watts at the time of the incident. According to officials, uh, that person was hit in the leg by gunfire, transported to a Tulsa hospital, treated and released. Uh, right now, no arrests have been made. The investigation is ongoing. But uh, there certainly appears to be a clear-cut clear case of self-defense. We'll bring any details as it become available. And finally today, our good deed of the day. Let's go back to Virginia. We're an off-duty officer in Salem, Virginia. In the right place, at the right time, willing able to do the right thing to save an elderly driver he found unresponsive behind the wheel. Officer uh, Clinton Weimer was driving home after a 12-hour shift. This was back on October 23rd. When he saw a vehicle in the opposite lane veer off the road, hit a tree, and then bounce into a sign. So Weimer pulls over, runs across the road, gets to that vehicle, finds a uh, elderly man uh, behind the wheel, unresponsive. His wife's next to him in the passenger seat. He said, I thought maybe he had a heart attack, but he was unresponsive. And the car was smoking, so I needed to move him. So I used a seatbelt cutter to free him from the vehicle. I took him a safe distance away. I checked his vitals, could not find a pulse, could not hear breathing. So we started performing CPR on the man. After just one round of CPR, the heartbeat returned. He resumed breathing. Weimer executed two more rounds of CPR before the uh, vital signs uh, were stable. He said at that time, a lady stopped, said she was EMS trained, 
So she monitored his vitals while I checked the man's wife, who appeared to be unharmed. And when the woman who was helping him said he lost his pulse again, we started CPR again. So after about 30 seconds, they were able to revive him. Uh, fire and EMS arrive, take him to the hospital. Weimer says he never got the name of the driver or the woman who helped him. But he said that he is confident that the man was alive when he arrived at the hospital. And he's uh, urging people to get CPR trained. He said, it's definitely worth it. He said, I thought I was done with my day. And out of nowhere, a situation arose where someone needed help. And again, thanks to his uh, training uh, and his heart, I would say, Officer uh, Clinton Reimer, able to ensure that that uh, individual in need got the help uh, that saved their life. And we thank you for your very good deed. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I appreciate you taking part in today's program. We will be back tomorrow. The focus, once again, got to be on the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin case. The day is finally going to be here where the Supreme Court will hear oral arguments. Uh, we were going to get we're going to get into that case. We're going to talk about uh, uh, what New York is claiming. We're going to talk about the argument made by the plaintiffs' attorneys. And, of course, we're going to talk about what the potential outcomes of this case might be and what they might mean for your right to keep and bear arms. I would also encourage you to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day, every day, because we're always updating with the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. If you like what you see, you can even become a VIP subscriber. Just use the promo code GUNS and you'll get 25% off of your VIP membership. We really do appreciate your support. Helps us do things like this program each and every day. Bypass the anti-gun mainstream media, even call out the anti-gun mainstream media like a Kindalanian of NBC News, as we did on the website today. And again, just use the promo code GUNS. You'll get 25% off of your VIP membership, exclusive analysis, commentary, and more. Thank you again for being a part of today's program. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free. Be free.